This is Erica, and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. Today, we're going to do something a little different than we've done on the podcast before. I'm actually going to share an old sermon with you. As we are returning from an amazing and crazy holiday, the Holy District pastoral team are kind of putting their heads together with their communities to figure out what they want to do with the podcast moving forward. And so while they are doing that, I thought I would share this sermon from about three years ago and even give you perhaps a little bit of inspiration to jump into some Bible reading. Perhaps you made a New Year's resolution to read the Bible more and you're looking for a suggestion. Well, might I suggest the book of Jonah? It's four chapters. It's really fun and interesting if you know what to look for, and it's a it will make you think. And so I was invited to preach at a church called Koinos in Sinking Spring, Pennsylvania, and I got to preach on the opening chapter of Jonah. And so that's what you're going to listen to today if you choose to keep on going. I would encourage you to grab your Bible and open it up to the book of Jonah and maybe a pen or pencil. And also, uh, at the beginning, I mentioned a clip from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And if you just want to watch that so you can feel the vibe of it, it's the one where they all sing a Backstreet Boys song. So I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the Backstreet Boys and the Book of Jonah. I am excited to share this sermon with you, preach for about 30 minutes. And at the end, there is a Q&A time because this is a common practice of Koinos to have a Q&A after every teaching opportunity. I hope you enjoy, and if you have any suggestions for future podcast series, let us know. I'll share some more information about how to do that at the end of this podcast, but for now, let's jump in. And today I get to talk with you and open up your series about Jonah. So the series that we're kicking off, it's August, it's called Jonah it's kind of a funny story. And so I felt like if there was any opportunity that I ever had to show Brooklyn Nine-Nine clip in church, it was today. It, it had to be. Jonah is actually, um, it, it's, it is a funny story, but depending on what your experience is with it, you may not understand that or that may, might sound weird to you. And so I want to help us understand um, what Jonah is about, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine is going to help us do that. So In order to kind of get a sense about this, what we have to understand about both Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the book of Jonah is the idea of satire. Is that something, a word that you guys are familiar with? So satire is, um, it's the use of irony and exaggeration to expose stupidity or vice. And so Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a modern example of satire. And what it's doing is it's making fun of cop shows. Raise your hand if you watch a cop show. At least one. They're very popular, right? So it's there's this like overly simplistic formula, right? There's the crimin there's the criminal, there's the the cops, and there's the victim, and it basically goes the same way every time, you know, like dun dun or whatever, law and, law and order or whatever. What's that called? Law and order, special victims unit, or something like that. And you basically know what's going to happen, right? And so here, Brooklyn Nine Nine, the whole point of the show is to basically exaggerate all of those stereotypical characters um, and show us kind of how silly our our cop shows really are. They're not really connected to reality. That isn't really how it works. And so there you have five people in a lineup singing Backstreet Boys 
and it's funny. Um, but if you think that that's actually a serious cop show, guess what? You're not going to get it. Not only are you not going to get it, you're going to probably think it's stupid and not want to watch it. And so it's really important to understand, like, what are we dealing with here? And the same thing goes for the book of Jonah. You're not going to get the book of Jonah if you don't understand that it actually is a satire. It's doing the same exact things. It's a satirical narrative, which is really weird for a prophetic book because Jonah is a prophet. And it's doing the same thing. It's using satire and stereotypes to expose some stupidity and some vice in this character, Jonah. And so just like all satire, it's actually supposed to be funny. And it really is kind of funny when you start to read it and understand it that way. So let me just give you a little bit of a sketch of the characters that we're going to be interacting with in the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah is one of my favorite books. I wish I could be here with you guys for all four weeks that you're doing it. Um, but I'm going to try to be good and just talk about chapter one and just set the whole thing up. And so the four characters that we're going to be interacting with for the entire the entire book of Jonah are, are these. First, you have Yahweh. So um, Yahweh is this like powerful creator, warrior God. This is Israel's God that they understand is the one true God, the God who made it all and is above all and is ruling all. Then you have the prophet, Jonah. Now, I don't know when you think of when you think of a prophet, but this is a highly regarded role. And prophets are supposed to be wise. They're supposed to be obedient. They're supposed to look very serious, you know, and hold their hands like this. They're supposed to be very faithful, and they're supposed to speak on the behalf of God and communicate a message of God to the people. This is what prophets typically do. And then you have the pagan sailors. These are or mariners, depending on your translation, and these are heathens. They're unfaithful. They're the, the misguided people. They're the people that don't get it. They're the people that do it the wrong way, that worship the wrong person. They're kind of rough and ready. This is a, another group of characters. And then finally, we have the Ninevites. You see, as we're going to read here in a second, Jonah was called to bring a message of the Lord to the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and Assyria was a world power at this time. And not only that, they were militaristic, uh, they were violent. And so when you're thinking about Ninevites, and Jonah, go, you know, he's supposed to go visit the Ninevites, what you're probably thinking is, okay, this is a hard-hearted, mean group of people that are really good at torture. You know, that's what, if you were reading the book of Jonah around the time that it was written, that these are some of the stereotypes that you would have in mind. And so the author of the book of Jonah is going to do something really masterful and funny with these characters. And we have to make sure that we ask ourselves this question before we go into this book so that we can get it as it's happening. And here's the question. How would you expect these four characters to behave based on a stereotype? If these characters behave the way that we would expect them to behave, the way we've read about or seen in other um, you know, works of literature or the way that we've experienced them in our own lives, what are they going to do? Keep that question in mind now as we're going to actually dive into the reading because Jonah is a very masterful work of satire. And the idea is there's this, you should be surprised 
by what happens. So if you have your Bibles, um, we are going to we're going to jump into it, and this is what we're going to do today. First, we're going to we're going to read through Jonah chapter one. Uh, we're going to make some observations as we go, and at the end, we're going to wrap up with some like so what questions uh, that we can walk away with from today and maybe contemplate um, as we learn from. What are the vices? What kind of stupidity is being exposed in this? Yes, it's funny, but it's funny for a reason. And what is that reason? And what does God have to say to me about that? And once we've got those questions laid out, then we're going to have some time for Q&A. If you guys have any questions about Jonah or what we've talked about, then we'll open it up for that time. Sound good? So let me say a prayer uh, to get us started, and then we'll be in Jonah 1, verse 1. Dear Lord, Thank you so much that you are here with us. Thank you that you are so creative in the way that you inspire people to tell your story. Thank you that the Bible isn't actually a boring book. Thank you that you are inviting us to actually enjoy the experience of getting to know you better. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that we would have fun, but we would also learn and that we would hear you speaking to us clearly about the things in our lives that we're wrestling with, that we're wondering about, that we're up against, God, that you would speak to us with clarity in the way that only you can do. And I trust you to do that. I love you, and I pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Jonah chapter 1, and the verse is going to be on the screen for you if you want to follow along there, or you can um, look in your Bibles along with me. And like I said, this is a, this is a story. So one thing just to pay attention to, if, if you were like, Erica, how would I even know that this is a satire? How would I even know to expect something unusual from this book? One thing that's interesting about the book of Jonah is it's a prophetic book. Jonah is a minor prophet, but the rest of the prophetic books are actually the prophet prophesying, doing their thing, speaking their message from the Lord. What's weird about Jonah is that it's actually a narrative. So whenever you start reading the book of Jonah, what you would expect is for it to say, like, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, in the year of, you know, whatever, under the reign of King Jeroboam II. That's when he was, um, that's when he was ministering. And then, it would, you know, you would expect to read how the Spirit called him to prophetic ministry, and then Jonah would start proclaiming his message, thus says the Lord. And whatever his message is to be to the, the people of God at that time, that's what he would be saying. But instead, we get this. It says in 1 verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So that's weird. There's a couple things. So number one, you notice, oh, that's weird. Jonah's, Jonah's not saying yes to his prophetic call. He's not going into the message that the Lord has given him to preach. He's actually doing the opposite of that. Jonah flees. Jonah runs away. And the very first thing, if Jonah is a stereotypical prophet, you're going, no, that's, no, Jonah, that's the wrong thing to do. Prophets don't run away from God. Prophets say yes to God and do what God asks them to do. This is really weird. Why did he run away? We don't actually know why. 
in this first part of the story. All we know is that he wants to get out and he wants to get as far away as possible. And Tarshish, um, we think, is actually probably an ancient reference to Spain. So it's kind of like the idea, I'm directionally challenged. I don't know what east or west is or, or anything like that. But, but if Nineveh is over here, Jonah's going this way. That's, that's the point. It's like this really exaggerated sense of Jonah is saying, I'm going to, the op- I'm going to Timbuktu. That's where Jonah's going. And that's how the story is written to kind of communicate that. So let's keep going. Verses 4 and 5. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Okay, just a quick stop here. I, when I was in seminary, I had to learn how to translate this from biblical Hebrew into English. And um, it takes a long time. It's really hard. It's really hard to do that. And um, you have to go really slow. And so I was on this verse, and all I could get to for the first 30 minutes was, but the Lord hurled. And I'm like, that's funny. That's funny. Um, so anyway, even in that language, like you feel how like animated this is, and you feel how exaggerated this is. Another hint that this is satire. So, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, these are the pagan sailors, then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. How's faithful Jonah the prophet doing so far? Bad, right? And so in this, in this first part of the story, not only does Jonah flee from God, he goes down to Joppa, he gets on the boat, then he goes down into the bottom of the boat, and then he lays down. So like you, he is going, he's getting further and further and further away from where he's supposed to be, and he, it's a downward spiral direction is what we're seeing happening with Jonah. And here we have... This really interesting thing. God responds with a storm. And the response to that that storm, we have Jonah, the wise, supposed to be obedient prophet, asleep down in the bottom of the boat. And then you have these pagan sailors who are actually what? Crying out to God to their God. They they are actually demonstrating some faith here in this passage. And while Jonah is asleep. And Jonah is the whole reason why they're in this situation to begin with. Let's keep going. Verse 6. The captain came down and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose accounts this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Surprise, surprise, right? You guys already knew that. We already know that it's Jonah's fault. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And Jonah says this, I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, So, all right, so you remember how I said satire is there to expose stupidity? Here you have Jonah, who is is at the center of all the chaos that are surrounding these people, and when they say, what is going on? Why is this happening? Jonah, you know, Jonah says, yeah, it's me, and who are you? I'm a Hebrew. 
I've worshipped the Lord. I worship the person who created the heavens and the earth. And yet, somehow, this, this prophet thought that he was going to run away from the presence of the Lord. That's stupid. Right? I mean, that's, and this is what the author is trying to help us to say. Jonah is the one that understands. And what he says, what he says is that he worships the creator of the sea and the land. But what he does and the way that he behaves shows that he doesn't really believe that. Or at least he's not living according to that. And I know in the last couple of weeks, you guys have talked about that concept of hypocrisy. So this is something that we're seeing in Jonah in, in verses 6 through 10. Keep going. In verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. All right, so at this point, either they're all going to, the ship is going to break up and they're all going to drown at sea, or Jonah has to do something. Jonah has to respond. But instead of actually making a choice himself, what does he do? He puts it into the hands of the sailors, the pagan heathen sailors that are supposed to not be faithful. He says, throw me off of the boat. Now, that's actually kind of a pretty selfish thing to do, isn't it? Like, instead of doing what he was supposed to do, which has led to this whole situation in the first place, and instead of him, you know, he could jump off the boat, I guess, if that's what needed to happen. He says, you guys, pick me up and throw me off. Like, he won't even take that one step. He, he's going to put that burden on these sailors, pick me up and throw me off. And check out the way that they respond, 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord. This is the pagan sailors crying out to Yahweh. They cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up, and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So remember those stereotypes? What are pagan sailors supposed to do? Pagany things, right? I mean, whatever, I don't know what that is, but it's definitely not, you know, cry out to Yahweh. Pagan sailors aren't supposed to have more faith than a prophet. Pagan sailors aren't supposed to have so much compassion that even though they know Jonah is the reason that they could all die, pagan sailors are just they're supposed to make him walk the plank just because, right? Just because they're bad. But instead, they have compassion. They have faith. They, try to, they keep trying to row and get back to shore. They want to do everything they can to save Jonah's life, even though he's the one that's put them all at grave, grave risk. That's interesting. And if you are an Israelite reading this at this time, you're, you'd be going like, what? No, that's not what pagans do. What's going on here? You're supposed to be thinking, what in the world is going on here? And also, may I mention, Jonah is being really disobedient, right? That's very clear. He hasn't even 
really, he hasn't proclaimed any message. He hasn't shown, you know, his faithfulness to Yahweh in any way. He's actually been very disobedient. He has been very unhelpful. He's been very selfish. But guess what? Everyone on that ship just converted to worship Yahweh. Like, Jonah is the worst prophet <laughs> in the Hebrew Bible, and he's already, he already has several converts on accident. That's funny. Thank you. What is your name? You, you laugh at the right points. John. John, you like satire, don't you? He's a fan. He's a fan. All right, we're, we're almost done with, our, with the first chapter of Jonah, with the story. Verse 17. So, so they just threw Jonah off the boat because he made them, essentially, after they did everything that they could to help him. And um, then they made vows to the Lord, and they are worshiping the Lord. And then Jonah's off the boat, and everything quiets down. And here's what it says in verse 17. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. End scene. That's a good episode. That's a good episode. Like, if you imagine that Jonah is a four, like a four-episode Netflix original series or something, that was a great place to end it. They just, you know, these faithful, compassionate pagans just threw this really crotchety, disobedient prophet off a boat, and a big old fish comes out of nowhere and swallows him up. Credits roll. What is happening? Doesn't it make you just want to start reading chapter two? We can't. Sorry. That's next week. That's next week. You're, you're going to have to wait. So the, the last thing that I want to point out about that 17 uh, verse is that it's, the word says, Yahweh provided a large fish. He provided a large fish. I don't know how, if you've ever heard the story of Jonah before, but when I grew up, I always um, thought or was taught that, like, you know, getting swallowed by a big fish is probably not that nice. And it was almost like a punishment, right? Like, Jonah was running away from God. He was disobedient. And so, you know, here comes this big fish, and it swallows him, and it's gross, and it's slimy or whatever. And this is like a form of God's punishment, like, bad Jonah. That you're, no, that's wrong. You need to, you know, do what I say. But that's actually not the way that the, the author of Jonah says it. It says that the Lord provided a fish. And so if you think about it, if, if this fish, this great fish, wouldn't have come and swallowed up Jonah, what would have happened? He would have drowned. He would have died. And so now, through this crazy huge fish whatever thing, um, Jonah's life is preserved in the belly of a fish instead of him drowning in the middle of the sea. That's pretty interesting. So here's my question, y'all. Do you get it? Do you get, I mean, it's not Backstreet Boys, but there is this, this something like absurd going on here. There is some stupidity. There is some vice that's being exposed. Jonah, the protagonist of the story, is just way stupid. Like, you are not rooting for Jonah, are you? He's not a good guy. He's more of an anti-hero. And it turns out that he's kind of like the worst prophet in the Bible, but he gets the best results. You know, you have the, the other prophets, they do what the Lord asks them to do. They get, like, thrown in wells. They get beat up. They get killed. Jonah does the opposite of what God asked him to do, and he gets, like, ten converts just because he was the worst. What is going on here? The pagan sailors, the unfaithful heathens, they're actually, like, 
the ones that we would want to model our lives after in this chapter. They're compassionate. They are faithful. Yahweh, who depending on your understanding of God, depending on the way that you understand the way God um, treats us and thinks of us, you may have expected that God would punish Jonah. He's being insolent. He's being stubborn. He's throwing a fit. What, you know, what is the right thing for an all-powerful God to do to someone who is being disobedient? Who, you, you know, you say go this way and he goes that way. And depending on the stereotype that you may have in your head, you, that may surprise you. The, the God that we would expect to punish Jonah is actually preserving his life. He is actually pursuing Jonah every step of the way in order to preserve Jonah. Jonah's choices and assumptions lead to death. Without, without God's intervention, Jonah's choices put him and the sailors, and then remember, we haven't gotten here yet, but you remember where he was supposed to go? Nineveh. If Jonah doesn't get to Nineveh with the word of the Lord, Nineveh doesn't have a chance. And so if Jonah dies in the water, in the sea, guess, you know, guess who else probably is going to perish as well? All of Nineveh, that great city that God had called him to. So the storm should have killed Jonah, but instead his life is preserved. Even in the midst of Jonah's total lack of mercy, in the midst of his selfishness and his short-sightedness, these are his vices, God pursues and preserves him. God is merciful. So here's the key. You're going to be hanging out in Jonah for the next several weeks. We've set the scene. Some more crazy stuff is going to happen, I promise. But here's the key. If you are going to understand Jonah, if you're going to get it, what you need to understand is that I am Jonah. You are Jonah. You're not the sailor in this story. You're not the Ninevite in this story. You're certainly not God in this story. If this, if this next few weeks are going to have the opportunity to transform you the way that the author of this book intended, the, the assumption that we make is like, okay, I'm the stupid one. <laughs> I'm the one that's missing it. I'm the one that is looking at the world in a way that needs to be corrected. I am the one that is um, operating in a way that keeps me from being obedient and keeps me from understanding the real nature of God. It's me. It's me. And if you, it's hard, but if you will allow yourself to be Jonah, this book actually is very, very, very powerful. It's going to cause you to wrestle with some really important things. It's going to cause you to think about the stereotypes in your life. It's going to cause you to consider how God looks at you and treats you. It's so much more than did Jonah really get swallowed by a, a fish. It's so much more than that. There's some really beautiful, funny things happening here. So, as promised, I just want to give us a few questions that we can consider as we go into the week and we anticipate moving into chapters 2, 3, and 4 um, in the coming pieces of the series. Here's the first question. What stereotypes of others have you accepted as true? So just like, you know, this story is an ancient story, and so we don't think about Assyria, you know, we don't think about Nineveh, or even pagans, right? That's, those, are, those are concepts that are a part of our common language. But there are, there are people in your life, and there are groups of people in your life, that it's just much easier to think about as a stereotype, right? That's what those people do, that's how these people are. 
you have religious people in your life, you have non-religious people in your life, right? And, I, you know, to some degree, we've all accepted some broad stroke stories about who these people are and the way they're going to behave in any given situation, even if we don't really know them. So one of the first, this first chapter, what it does for us is it says, hey, I wonder if this story was about me right now, who would be those stereotypical characters? And if I saw them the way that God saw them, how would they surprise me? So how is God using Jonah to challenge those stereotypes? Next question. Be honest. What person or group of people would cause you to respond the way that Jonah did in this story? It's like you're just hanging out one day, and for once in your life, an audible voice from heaven comes down, you know, and says, Erica of Mount Vernon, Illinois, go to this, the great city of what, I don't know, whatever. Is it a place? Is it a group of people that you just think, no, no, then I'm going to go this way. If you tell me to go that way, I'm going to go this way. Anyone else but them. And that is a little extreme. That's an exaggeration. But maybe there's a group of people that you're just really not interested in hearing their story. You're not really interested in actually listening to the way they see and experience the world because you just disagree and you're right. Right? Are you always right? I am. Ask my husband. I was right about something this morning coming into church. It was so glorious. But, I mean, that's it, right? We, we feel very clear. We feel very strong about our opinions. And whenever there's a group of people who sees the world in a different way, and we say, nope, I'm not going there. I'm not talking to them. I'm not listening to them. We all have that. That's why I'm Jonah. That's why you're Jonah. That's why this book is so powerful for our lives. Last question. How is God pursuing you in the midst of your shortcomings? So here's the beautiful thing about the book of Jonah, and you're going to see it verse after verse, chapter after chapter. Jonah's stupid. We are too. And yet, through this whole story, God keeps moving toward Jonah. God gets it. God loves Jonah. God has mercy for Jonah. God isn't, you know, sitting up in heaven or on top of a mountain looking down and saying, oh my gosh, okay. You get the fish punishment this time. That's not what's happening. Every step of the way, no matter how far away Jonah decides to run, no matter how disobedient, no matter how um, stuck in his ways he decides to be, God just says, okay, I'm going to have mercy on you. Let's, let's get this. I love you. We're going to figure this out. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to teach you something. And God keeps moving toward Jonah. And God is doing the same for you. And this is why it's okay This is why it's okay to say, I'm Jonah. Because if it means on one hand that I have misunderstandings and misconceptions about the world, if it means that I have judgments and prejudices and biases in my life that are wrong, that God wants to challenge and change, then what it also means is that God will never stop pursuing me. And that in the midst of my lack of mercy toward other people, God is still merciful to me. That's what that means. I am Jonah. You are Jonah. And these are the things that I would just encourage all of us to just marinate in this week. Because as you start to consider these things, you don't need to come, and come to any conclusions yet. You don't need to figure it out. You don't need to go do five steps. But as you, as you start thinking about these things, praying about these things, going to the Lord in prayer and saying, 
God, I don't know. I can't think of any, but I know they're there. Help, show me. Show me those areas. As you come back next week and the week after that and the week after that, God is going to speak to you through this book. And it's going to change you. It's going to make your world bigger. It's going to make your heart bigger. And it's going to help deepen your appreciation of the mercy of God. And that is, that's my prayer for all of us. And so I'm going to wrap up our teaching time right now um, with a prayer. And then after that, we're going to have a couple minutes of Q&A. Pastor Andrew's going to help with that. And we'll see where that takes us. Because I love Jonah. I could talk about it for another. I don't know how long I've been up here. We could, we could talk about it for days, so um, be thinking about your questions, and we'll jump into Q&A. Dear Lord, it's hard for us to see ourselves as we truly are. We have a reason why we see the world the way we do. Just like Jonah, the Assyrians were big. They were bad. They were scary. They had done uh, damage. They, they were the military power. You know, there were a lot of reasons to not want to care about those people. And if we're being honest, we have those people in our lives too, if we're really being honest. It might be a person, it might be a group of people, it might be a place. But Lord, I pray that as we continue on the path of following you, and as we learn from your scripture that you inspired, that you gave to us, Lord, that you would show us through your mercy how wrong we get it sometimes. And that we could laugh at ourselves and that we could, together in community, be confronted with the stupidity and the vice that is in our life, so that it can be healed and it can be transformed and so that we can actually learn and become more like you, Lord. We would be nowhere if not for your mercy. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to become more merciful each day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Q&A time. I've never done this with you all before, so. Just ask if there are any questions, and I'll come around the room with the microphone. Do you guys have any questions? And then Andrew will go around the room with the microphone. (laughs) It's kind of blinding up here. Hand I made myself a cheat sheet, so please ask questions that are all covered on my cheat sheet, if, if you could. That would be great. I, too, like the story of Jonah, and I appreciate you taking a literary approach to it. Yeah. The one question that came to my mind that could have been maybe on your list is, um, what is the impact of our inaction? Mm. Or what, does the, what can the impact of our inaction have on people around us? Well, let me just throw that back at you. What do you think? I was just thinking of just our response to the um, caging of the children mm-hmm. in, on the border and in Florida, you know, everywhere. Yeah. Um, we have that here in Berks County. There's children that are being, unaccompanied children that are being brought to Bethany House right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, what do we do? And why haven't we done more? Or, you know, just what happens when we don't act? Yeah, I, I think what we can see, at least from this first chapter, is obviously the Lord cares about Nineveh. The Lord cares about Nineveh. That's why he's sending one of his messengers there. And so if the Lord cares about something and he's sending us to something and he's calling us to something, then there's a reason for that. Jonah wasn't interested. 
And if Jonah doesn't make it to Nineveh, and if Jonah doesn't do what he's supposed to do, then you have this great city full of humans that are loved by God who are going to perish. And, and that really is the understanding here. Um, the Bible is very clear on the empire of Assyria and what ultimately is going to happen to Assyria. It's, it's also clear that Assyria wasn't all, you know, unicorns and puppy dog tails. That's not actually what's going on here. But we have to get over this idea that people need to deserve mercy. Like, by definition, mercy cannot be deserved. The only way that mercy is mercy is if it's undeserved. When you have compassion on someone that you like and that has done nice things for you or that you agree with, that's not mercy. So this, this is something that we have to think about. Obviously, when, when we don't act and God is calling us to act, then that means there are real-life consequences for real humans who are suffering, who are in pain, who don't have um, the good news, whatever the good news shape may take in that, in that time. And I think, you know, thank you for that question. It, it, it makes me want to also just clarify, when we think about a prophet, I think sometimes we have this idea of a prophet like as a psychic. Like, they're the people that can see into the future of what's going to happen, and their job is to say, here's what's going to happen. But actually, the way that the prophets in the Hebrew Bible functioned was the Lord would, would give them a message. A word from the Lord would come to them. And they would be charged to bring that to the people, and usually it was hard. Usually it was a word that was confronting people with the things that they don't care about. It was confronting people with their lack of care for the vulnerable. It was confronting them with the way that they were greedy and idolatrous. And what the word of the Lord you know, often said was, if you continue down this path, here's what's going to happen. But if you repent, if you do something different, if you rethink this, if you make a change, that doesn't have to happen. So the most successful prophet is not the one who predicts the demise of a people. It's the one that communicates the word of the Lord, and those people respond with open hearts and repent. And so this is the opportunity that we have when we feel convicted by the Lord. We see that maybe a group or a nation or a community is going, and if we keep doing this, what's going to happen? That's a prophetic utterance. The Spirit is saying, repent, rethink this, take a different avenue, do it a different way. We have to have a broader imagination for what the Lord is able to do in our midst. And that's what that prophetic role does for us. Any other questions? Yeah. Oh, yeah, please actually, next question be over here, and we can get, Pastor Andrew can get I'm all the steps Getting my in. steps in, though. <laughs> I'm going to guess this one is on your cheat sheet, but Please. I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Yeah. If it's satire, is it literal? Ah. Um, that's not on my cheat sheet. And actually, there are, there are people that have um, understood the book of Jonah in a lot of different ways. I grew up in a context where it was really important to prove the historicity. That's a fun word. Historicity. Where it was really important to prove that. Like, is it possible for a human to be swallowed by a fish and survive? And, you know, when did this happen? Because Nineveh actually um, fell. And so as you see what happens in the book of Jonah, there's, you know, some things that people might see as discrepancies. Um, there are some people, some, like, Christian theologians, scholars who say, if you look at the way this was written, 
it's, it was written as a story to, to actually give us a truth, but it wasn't meant to be taken literally. And so um, they're, where they're coming from is this. There was a prophet named Jonah, Jonah of Amittai, and he's actually mentioned in 2 Kings. 2 Kings, um, oh, I can't, rem- I can't remember, um, but he's mentioned in 2 Kings. And so he was a historical person, and he was prophesying actually around the same time as the prophet Amos. And so we know that he existed. So what the scholars say is, no, this isn't like totally made up, but what the person who wrote the book of Jonah was doing is they picked a historical person, and then they did this really like creative, imaginative um, story to help get at these harder to talk about concepts where you have the rest of the prophetic books that are giving a message. Jonah's life is the message. Jonah's life is a message. And so that's one way of thinking about it. And then there are other people, there's lots of evidence to say that something like this really could have happened. And so for me, that's not a big thing that I get hung up on because it's true. I mean, as, as, we, were, as we were reading the story, you probably got the sense of like, yeah, that's how people are. That's how I am. And sometimes I think we get really off track because we want to know, when did it happen, and is it historical, and is there an archaeological dig that will prove it? And really, at the end of the day, what this is meant to do is to say, you are Jonah. You are Jonah, and God is merciful to you. So how are you going to respond to God's mercy? And are you going to allow God's mercy to flow through you to other people that you would not want to have mercy on? For you. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, one thought that I had was just that I think this story shows that God meets us where we are rather mm. than where we should be. Yeah. Um, and another thought that I had, probably a question, um, do you think we're all Jonah all the time, or do you think we can share other characteristics other than simply being bad at what we do? <laughs> yeah. You're all the worst. I'm going to head back to Allentown. See you later. Um, yeah, it's a great question. So here's what I would say. Even Jonah wasn't Jonah all the time, right? I mean, I think the story of Jonah, like I said, because it's satire, is meant to exaggerate like those things that actually live deep in our hearts that we don't want to deal with. That's why you need something like, like satire to bring that to the surface because if we just talked about it in a really like intellectual way, we'd be like, oh yeah, stereotypes are bad and God loves everyone, right? What Jonah does is it takes that hopefully little part of us and it just magnifies it. And it's the whole story. And it's so, it's painfully obvious. You're like, oh my gosh, no. Did you guys ever watch Meet the Parents? That's like, a, you know, older movie. But that whole movie, I'm like, no, stop, don't do that. It's so obviously dumb. It's so obviously wrong. And so, no, we're not all prejudiced all the time. We're not all unmerciful all the time. But, but we actually have to kind of see it on this grand scale to actually start to wrestle with the places in our hearts that, that are and to be honest with ourselves about it and just see it for what it really is. Yeah. I have a question about um, this whole bit with uh, Donald Trump. Oh, boy. 
with detaining and So kind of like, how does the story maybe connect with what's going on at the border and immigrants yeah. being detained and asylum seekers? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is the question, isn't it? That is the question. At, you know, at the end of this, when I said, who, who are those people that maybe we would not, we would behave like Jonah? And for some of us, maybe it's immigrants. For some of us, maybe it's asylum seekers because from our perspective, the life that we've lived um, we've not had a great life, and there's a fear of this change and a, and a sense of being taken advantage of and a lot of different things that are very um, valid, valid experiences that we have as humans. And so what the story of Jonah is doing is saying, yeah, how does God feel about the immigrant? Um, what, does God have mercy on asylum seekers? Does God have mercy on, you know, these families? Um, you know, whether they are crossing the border legally or Ill illegally, does that change God's perspective of, of their value as a human? You know, that, that, this is the kind of question that the book of Jonah is meant to pose. And for some of us, that might be an easy answer. For some of us, we may say, of course God does. But for some of us, we may have to wrestle with that one in a little different way. And, also, and there are other people that those of us who have compassion more easily for immigrants and asylum seekers and the people on the border, there are other groups of people that we may not have compassion for, a.k.a. the people who don't have compassion for immigrants and asylum seekers. Gotcha. That's the worst part, guys. I'm telling you. There's, um, I coined a phrase for it, I think. It's called superiority inception. And as soon as you think that you've, like, cleared this hurdle of, like, I used to feel this way about this group of people, and now I don't, guess what? The next thing you have to overcome is feeling superior to the people who, who are where you just were five seconds ago. So some of us, the question may be, do I, do I have the right amount of mercy and compassion for immigrants and for foreigners and people who are seeking asylum in our country? And for some of us, it, the question may be, do I have mercy and compassion for people who don't? When we actually are willing to wrestle with ourselves that way and look in the mirror that way, this is where we actually become peacemakers. This is where we actually become merciful, reconciling people. That's what, that's what the world needs. And um, people who, who are passionate about people at the border, um, yes, we need to, to act and move in, toward them in the way that God moves toward us. We also need to act and move toward the people who see it differently than we do. Because this is not an individual problem. This is a communal and a national thing that we're doing here. And so um, the, the more that we can have a heart of a peacemaker and the more that we can get over that superiority inception thing, um, I think the more successful we're going to be in the work that Christ has called us to. And it's hard work. Thanks for putting me on the spot with the Trump question. Well, thank you very much, Erica, for coming and sharing today. I want to pray for you and for Blake and the ministry that you guys are doing, and then I'll have an announcement, and then we'll have one last worship song. So, awesome. Father God, I thank you for Erica. I thank you for Blake, and I thank you for the ministry that they're doing up in Allentown, Lord. I thank you for their willingness to be a part of our community as well, and I just pray that you would continue to bless them in that. I pray, Lord, that um, we'll take these words to heart and that we'll be convicted about how we how we act in the world, Lord, and that we will 
run to you instead of away from you. And I just pray that you would just be with us this week. Um, It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So there you have it. I hope that was worth a listen for you. If you enjoyed listening to a sermon like this and would like to see that in the future, or if you have ideas about podcast series that you hope would come, certainly let us know. You can email me at erica at holydistrict.org. That's E-R-I-C-K-A at holydistrict.org. Or you can find us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Rediscover Sacred, as you probably already know. If you would like to learn more about the Holy District and how what we're doing might intersect with you and your life's purpose, you can check us out also on our website, holydistrict.org. We are really grateful that you are listening and that you're a part of our community, and we're looking forward to taking next steps together on our journey toward deeper, more meaningful spirituality and faith in Jesus. We'll talk to you next time. The Holy District is a growing network of people in the United States who are finding creative ways to live integrated, Jesus-centered lives in their communities, with their communities, and for their communities. We're dedicated to rediscovering the sacred in the everyday spaces where we already live, work, and play, and we're so glad you're on this journey with us. Talk to you next time.